0: Hey, everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, which was published by Penguin Random House last summer. I write for a lot of publications, mostly about pregnancy and maternal health and women's health issues, um, and man, I have been so busy. I'm just getting back from an East Coast swing trip uh, to Washington, D.C. and to New York City, where I did some work and had a really good time. But once again, dang it, I'm coming home with a cold. That seems to be a bad habit I've picked up. And apologize for the rough voice, but this is what we got this week. Anyways, I want to talk about, I want to start talking about some of the really positive side effects that pregnancy and parenting has in our lives, you know, beyond, beyond, you know, the baby itself. And here's a little inside secret that a lot of people just don't know until they arrive at this stage in their life. Here's the best part about being a parent. Yeah, I know you think I'm going to say the kid, right? Sometimes I say that, but sometimes to be straight up honest, The kid isn't all that pleasant to be around and they very rarely offer very much in terms of give back so today my answer for the question what's the best part of parenting is this it's the friends you'll make along the way they might be friends you already have who are going through the same stages of life as you are and once you add children to the mix that friendship just goes to another level it gets much much deeper but you're also going to meet people that you've never met before. And, you know, you'll meet other parents to be in your prenatal classes, your neighborhood, your library, your park, your playground, meetup groups. I mean, it's you'll find them in your church, your preschool, toy stores. You'll hunt them down and you'll make them your own because parenting is super hard and a lot of fun and you'll need some friends to do it with you. And if you're lucky, if you're super lucky, your kids will like each other too. My older brother moved to a new city, you know, when his kids were grown and gone. And he lamented that once you're through raising your kids, it gets a lot harder to make new friends because there isn't anything else that offers as much opportunity. It's a time in life when you have just so many things in common with other people. And I I think he... I think he's right. You know, I met some of the friends that I cherish the most, literally in the sandbox when my older girls were babies. And, you know, we, we saw each other and we recognized in each other that you're going through the same thing I'm going through. You're celebrating the same things I'm celebrating. You might have answers to the same questions that I'm asking about how the heck does this parenting thing work? you really get to know people when you compare notes about sleep schedules and dirty diapers and tantrums and teething and eventually about older kid issues like schools and friends and headlights and so much more and you know you will spend every saturday morning for years on end on a drizzly damp sports field together watching your pee wee soccer or softball players totally obliterate the game and it's so much fun and, uh, you know, I feel really lucky with the friends I've made through my kids. And even though my, most of my kids are grown, a lot of the friendships have remained really strong. And now we compare notes on the issues adult children face. And let me tell you, their insights and their input are really, really important to me. When one of my kids is doing something that just plain baffles me, I can call up one of my friends and they'll commiserate and offer advice and either rant or laugh with me. There was a time not very long ago when I was really struggling with something one of my kids was experiencing, no names mentioned, of course, and I was on a business trip and I ended up meeting up with a friend who has a very similar kid, just a bit older, and uh, she happened to be working in the same city I was and we just got lucky that our schedules timed up. So we met at a museum and we huddled up up on a bench and we told each other our stories and our concerns for these kids. We talked for a really long time um, and we didn't really solve our children's problems, but I think that we both left that conversation feeling like somebody else really understood what we were going through. And you know what, my friends, that counts for a lot. So today... I want to talk to a very dear friend of mine um, that I have a lot in common with. We're both ex-labor nurses, and we've both had four babies. I have three daughters and a son, plus a niece, and she has three sons and a daughter. And in fact, uh, she and I were pregnant with our, our daughters at the same time. Um, so ever after, we've referred to those two girls as belly buddies, Kelly moved to Germany several years ago, Um, so when I talk to her, she's often the one who offers sort of the overseas perspective on what parenting norms are like in Germany. I want to get Kelly on the line today so we can talk about all of that, plus some of the pregnancy experiences that she's had. Let's get Kelly on the phone. Hey, Kelly. Hey Jeannie. How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You are on the other side of the world. Where are you? I
1: am. I'm over here in Germany where it's about 8 o'clock at night.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, where? Tell us where exactly in Germany you are. Well, I'm in the area of
1: Bavaria, which I think most people would say is idyllic. Idyllic Germany.
0: And you're near an army base, correct?
1: We are. We're kind of nestled in between several actually, several training centers are down here in Germany.
0: And how long have you been there now?
1: 2008, so I'm on my eighth year.
0: Oh my God. Oh my God. Yes, just don't
1: ask me to do the um, (laughs) chit-chat in German. It might fail miserably.
0: Okay. Can you speak German yet? A little bit? A little bit. I can get by. All right. Mm-hmm. Actually, my medical
1: German is probably better than my conversational German.
0: <laughs> that's that's the same with my medical Spanish. I can Exactly. Speak enough Spanish to get any woman through labor and delivery.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs>
0: yeah. Well, let's start off with, you know, just some introductions. Um, tell our listeners who you are and what you do.
1: Well, my name is Kelly and I'm actually an aging a uh, 46-year-old nurse. I'm at that age where I used to think, oh my God, those old 40-year-old nurses think they know everything.
0: Because <laughs> we um, do.
1: <laughs> I know. Um, previously was a labor and delivery nurse, followed by outpatient surgery, and now I'm a school nurse.
0: And what's the age group that you're taking care of now? Age 3 to 12. All right, so, you know, chicken pox and measles and head lice and scrapes and playground accidents and what else? Playground accidents, emotional turmoil, um,
1: um, rashes, ticks. We get a lot of tick bites um, because we have deer ticks down here. Mm -hmm. Um, Various, you know, bumps and bruises, made-up things. Amazing what kids can come up with. Yeah. Totally. A lot of our families are, um, it's not easy to get time off of work. So a lot of kids get sent to school sick because it's easier for a parent to take off work when I call rather than them calling themselves in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We, so, we get that. That's the way it is all over the world, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so I get a lot of uh, uh, sick call between, you know, eight and nine.
0: So the kids are already in the classroom, and the parents are expecting that phone call. Yeah. So they've had an hour to infect other kids.
1: Exactly. Or sometimes they come straight from the bus, and teachers are pretty good. when You know, teachers are amazing. They can see a child walk in the door, and they just know something's not right with that child. Huh. So then I get them.
0: Yeah. It's radar. And It it's, is radar. And it's, you know, not just the 40-something... 50-something nurses who know everything, it's the teachers in the same age bracket. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They know. So, I think you just know when things aren't right. Yeah. So you and I met when we were both working night shift. We were yes. both doing labor and delivery at the hospital. And, uh, you know, a group of us became good friends. We sure did. I'm still friends with some. Me too. Are you still but friends the- with the day shift nurses or... You know, what is it about night shift that creates such a tribe? You know, it's funny
1: because it's almost like when you're a night shifter, you dread the other shifts. You just think there's no way I could work day shift ever. Nope. Maybe it has to do with sleep deprivation or personalities. We seem to be a mellow yet highly efficient group.
0: Yeah, because we have to work on a skeleton crew. And day shifters, and the
1: unexpected. There's something about things happen weird as soon as the sun sets.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you know there's always people say it's a myth, but full moon Friday nights. Full moon, and I think in labor and
1: delivery, it's the barometric pressure. How many how many crazy nights did we have when the rest of the hospital was calm, but the barometric pressure was up, so everyone's water would break.
0: Yeah, yeah. Splash Nights. Splash Nights, positive
1: wheelchair sign coming up the elevator. <laughs> Do <laughs> that was you my remember favorite.
0: Were you on that shift with me when a woman delivered? We got a call from the emergency room saying, there's a woman coming up in labor and she's really, really loud. And they popped her in the elevator and all the way up the elevator, we could hear her yelling and the noise just got louder and louder until, bing, the doors opened. And there she was and she had her baby right there in the elevator in her pants leg. Of course. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we yeah. teased and called the baby Ellie for elevator. Oh, of course. <laughs> and I had one gal that was paused in wheelchair
1: sign, um, a lovely Hispanic girl, actually. Um, I remember her name to this day, but she came up, same thing, wailing, but completely in control. It was just her coping mechanism. And man, she was the sweetest thing. She got out of that wheelchair, leaned over the bed, squatted in. It was like, oh, the baby right there. If my scrub top had been bigger, I probably would have made a hammock for it.
0: Uh it Those are my favorite. Remember, I also remember that there was one night that we were working. And I don't know if you were on that night or not, but um, somebody was coming in in the middle of the night, ready to have their baby. And they made it. Uh, in the doors into a wheelchair and across the hospital lobby, but they didn't make it all the way up to us before she had the baby however the the priest who was on duty that <laughs> night he caught the baby and oh well, what a blessing what an eyeful for him exactly yes, what an eyeful yeah
1: Why, you know that's when you say Welcome to the night shift. Welcome to us. Yeah. You are now one of our people.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you can do that. And I think that.
1: one of the things I loved about night shift is there was less hospital noise. Yeah. You had more more person noise than, you know, the... What was that infamous hospital call? What was that? Capital 11 or capital H in or the doctor calls. and.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It was just... Less electronic
0: sound and more patient sound. Right, right. And, you know, the sleep deprivation part is a big part of it. We were all so tired.
1: Oh, how many times did you get off work? You know, it's 8 a.m. and it feels like you just walked out of the movie theater into daylight. You know, you're blinded. And I remember I would stand in line somewhere, you know, whether it be the grocery store or the coffee place or the bank, because back then we'd actually go inside a bank. And I would think I was perfectly fine, but it would just take so long to make a decision. Or you'd stare up at the menu or the reader board and you'd think, Wow, there's was a lot to read. Yeah. But people just didn't realize how long we had to process <laughs> daytime activity. Yeah. Yeah. I think or walking everybody... around yellow. I always thought I probably always looked like I had hepatitis. I probably always had that overtired yellow glow.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's kind of amazing that we stuck through that. I did 10 years. How many years were you on nights? Oh
1: my gosh, Um, 96 to 2003. So seven years. Yeah, seven years. And I, you know, how many times did people say, gosh, you get to sleep all day? And you think, gosh, you get to sleep all night? Or people would say, well, we're having the family get together at you know one in the afternoon and I think you know actually one in the morning would work better for me. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Yeah, Yeah. People just don't get it.
0: And for, for both of us since we had all those little kids to juggle I know that for me it was a matter of you get home from the hospital you get the kids in the car and ready to go to school or you get them to whatever daycare you're gonna do and then you run home and you sleep as fast as you can and then you get up so that you can be at the daycare or school door by 2.45. Right. And And then do the afternoon hustle,
1: fix dinner,
0: and then try to climb into bed for an hour and a half nap before you have to go back to work.
1: Right. And every time you wake up, you never felt quite rested or quite good. It's almost like someone woke you up out of that nap that went a little too long, so you're just kind of crabby and achy and cold.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But, you know... There was something about Night Shift that I love because I really do think it worked with my personality of being, A, a night owl. Mm -hmm. And, B, I like things quiet yet lively Mm
0: -hmm.
1: without extraneous noise. And, of course, there is the what I would always tell myself in a positive way. I am technically always available to watch a school program. I'm not having to ask time off from work to go... See the 2 a.m. puppet show circus at preschool.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, I we just made lose it. She was
1: out on sleep, but you know, we were there.
0: We did it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And No I, parent
1: conference happens at <clears throat> 2 a.m.
0: I think there was also a really interesting mix of women on night shift. There were the brand new nurses who took the night shift position because nobody gets a day shift position right out of nursing school. Right. And, you know, they were frightened and exhausted and shocked by the sleep deprivation. And some of them had a high level of bravado, like, oh, yeah, I'm 26. I know everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And you think, thank gosh you're 26 because you have the energy. (laughs) Yeah, really. And then there were, you know, others of us, I think at that time, you and I were in our Well, I was in my late 30s, early 40s, um, and we did know. We had the depth of experience that we needed to be able to manage that unit at night when most of the doctors were home in their beds asleep. Right. Yeah. Right. And we'd be
1: brave enough to make the calls in the middle of the night, knowing you were waking someone up.
0: I was good at that.
1: Yes, you were, (laughs) which is why I always loved working when you were the charge nurse, because I could always... (laughs) Managed to get really busy and have to ask someone to make that call. Because, you know, I had to have my hands where they needed to be. Yeah. And that wasn't on a phone.
0: (laughs) I'm not mentioning any names here, but I bet we both remember one particular doctor who didn't like to get up. And when it was his night to be the on-call doctor, you would expect to have to make two or three calls. And it was probably only when his wife was annoyed with the phone ringing and ringing that she would shove him out of bed and he'd get in the car and drive to the hospital. Exactly. Or what about, okay, this sounds like a horror story, but it was
1: really, it it is fun and made for a good environment. But sometimes the doctors that couldn't get up while they were actually in the hospital.
0: I know. They'd sleep through a call. In the call room. Mm-hmm. 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 It happens. I remember one doctor. Luckily, we're staffed that way where you know, we know how to deliver a good catch. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we call him A catch for, for, yeah. I do remember that there was one doctor. It's the same one who we had to wait for his wife to shove him out of the bed, but it was an emergency call and I needed him stat. And I made the call and then rushed back into whatever room I was working with. Noticed 10 minutes later that there was still no sign of him called back again. And, um, I didn't know this guy very well yet, but I yelled at him to, get his ass out of bed and get to the hospital now. And he did. It was very effective. And the whole time after I had made that ass call, um, I was worried that he'd get to the hospital and he'd nail me for it. But he got there, and, you know, I just chewed him out. And he apologized profusely, and never again when I called did he avoid (laughs) He, he got that ass out of bed he got to the <laughs> hospital yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why we're a tribe that's why we're a tribe we are. yeah
1: the treats and the birthday cakes and the popcorn the nightly popcorn from
0: from Nola uh, yes. yeah yeah miss it yeah so sort of. <laughs> you and I we do have a lot of things in common and one of them is that we both have four babies yes which is weird because that's a huge amount of kids. And, you know, people would always ask me, well, are you Catholic? Are oh, you? I know. Are you Mormon? No. No. Was well, it intentional? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you use birth control? Don't you know about birth control? <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you get that? That's how there's only four and not eight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how do you answer it? Or is, um, or is that your answer? I think...
1: That was more prevalent of a question when all four were at home. Uh And it seems like the older they get, and the more spread out. The freak factor from other people is less. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I think when people see little kids, they assume you're a baby factory because they see little kids running around. But as they get older, they're less enamored. But I always used to get so irritated. Like when you have more than one of the same gender, they'd say, well, are you going to try for, are you going to try for a girl or yeah. are you going to try for a boy? And it's like, I'm trying for a baby.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's, that's what you try for. Or yeah. I would try to, sometimes the blank stare was really helpful. Almost <laughs> as though I was thinking, I'll give you about four seconds to take that back or move on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what did people generally choose? <laughs> They would usually backpedal a little bit. Yeah.
1: But I'm one to not ever want to make anyone uncomfortable. So I usually would just go with it and say like, yep, I've heard of birth control. That's why I'm only having four and not six.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I met, you know, even when I had, you know, three daughters and a son. And even at the point where, you know, Lua had joined us. So there were five, there were five kids already. People would say to me. Well, aren't you going to try and have a boy for your son? (laughs) Yeah, because what I need is six. That's what I need. Yeah. 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 And
1: what I need is just another one of those. Like, no, no, no.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Daughter, no. Daughter, no. Daughter, no. Boy, that's what this family is missing. Another boy.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's what we're missing.
0: Gosh, darn it. Uh, Yeah. So... Which one of your pregnancies was it with Chloe? That was so yes. rough. It was that the third. one. Third, yes, yeah. the easiest delivery, the hardest pregnancy. So you had hyperemesis gravidarum. Yes, I did. Which but is I, I never really have
1: forgotten that.
0: No, I bet you haven't. <laughs> yeah. So for those for those listening who don't know what that is, hyperemesis gravidarum is morning sickness to the max extreme. It means you cannot keep down anything, ever. Not water, not spit, certainly not food. And it goes on and on and on. And you're not just a little nauseous and queasy. It's severe. And I remember you were in the hospital for quite a quite a bit of time with that. Yeah, I had about four admissions, um, at least.
1: Some, one of them, you know, would just be... Like a quick overnighter um, with IV hydration. And then others were a few more days. And then the last one was actually for um, a pickline line insertion and, and TPN, which is total parental nutrition, which some people know is two feeding. Although it wasn't through my nose. It was through a, a central vein. Yeah. So that's what it ended up being, which actually, as horrific as it sounds, was kind of a godsend. Because it, really, it took off a lot of pressure of having to hydrate and get nutrients on my own because the thought of water, even hearing water run, made me queasy. Wow. Yeah, and there were certain... I still, to this day, always have aversions to orange and red food combinations, um, just some things I just could look at or smell or think about, and it just made me queasy. So having the TPN just really took a lot of pressure off
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: to be able to move forward and actually enjoy being pregnant. Um,
0: When did it finally lighten up?
1: Well, it lightened up almost in my 30th week. It was long. Yeah. And I think it was such a challenge for... um, the pick line to get in, that they really were cautious about taking it out. So I had the pick line through, let's see, Chloe was born in February. So through December, almost to January, um, just to keep it in, in case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, oddly enough, I had a little bit of a relapse after she was born and I was breastfeeding. Huh. Yeah, so I had to take um, some medications while I was breastfeeding for like a month or so.
0: Because
1: um, I got really queasy breastfeeding, of all things. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I did, too, during that same period of time. You, you and I, we were pregnant at the same time. With Yes, I took care of you and I live. I know. And that was um, the baby that I had so much trouble breastfeeding. Um, and it turned out it's because I had cancer in that breast. Who knew? Right. Yeah. Who that's, knew? Yeah, that sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those girls yeah. were a lot of trouble, but they have turned out to be just about the loveliest 16-year-olds on the planet. And I that's That's saying something. The fact that we can say we have lovely 16-year-olds is really different than what a lot of mothers of teenage girls are saying.
1: I know. I you know, sometimes you just wish our daughters knew the things that we think when we look at them because you know,
0: I just look at
1: sixteen year old with such admiration and pride, but you know, if I tell her that too much, I'd probably get an eye roll and a sigh or something.
0: At least an oh mom.
1: Oh, every mom says that.
0: You have to say that. You're my mom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or
1: am I in trouble?
0: Yeah, really. What's the next line gonna be? I know. But they've remained friends since before they were born. I know. They're they I don't know. Did we name them belly buddies or did they name themselves? I think you and I did. It's possible. In fact, you might have been one of the last,
1: she might have been one of the last babies I took care of before I went on maternity leave to have mine.
0: Right. Because mine was born February 9th and yours was born February 25th. Yeah.
1: I guess it was a couple weeks. Yeah. Still.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a pair. I know.
1: And they're still friends.
0: I know. Even though you're in Germany. I know they yeah. keep in touch quite a bit. Well, I think that you know that's sort of one of the things that I talked about in the introduction to this, to our phone call, is that you know one of the best parts about having children is the friends that you make along the way, mm-hmm. and and you know raising children with other people. I mean, it's really a really unique opportunity in a lifespan to be able to make friends because it's, you know, it's almost like survival mode. When you're it raising is. kids, you've got to find like-minded people doing the same job that you are so that your kids can play together, so that you can talk shop, so that you can, you know, rest on each other's shoulders when the going gets tough. You know, and we went on to, you know, share some daycare My daughter would go to your house. Your daughter would come to my house. We'd share rides to preschool and carpool, and and um, you know, you've been. It was a big deal when you guys moved to Europe. That was really tough, but it was tough. They're still good friends. They
1: still are. In fact, they're you know they make summer plans. You know, we only visit every other summer, and by gosh, they uh, they make plans starting the day after we leave to come back to Germany for for the next summer.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the great things that your daughter had to offer was the fact that she had three big brothers (laughs) (laughs) who taught her so much. And, you know, in our family, we had all of the big sisters who were just dying to fluff over Chloe. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of benefit in that. There was. It was so fun because I think a lot
1: went on with those two littles. A lot of good education of common sense happenings. Like, I remember Chloe still talks about how she taught Olivia how to get out of the car by herself without Mm -hmm. being lifted out. Mm -hmm. And they practiced Mm -hmm. crawling in, crawling out. Um, I think one time uh, Olivia wanted Chloe to teach her how to run down or run up the stairs, something like that. Uh And then Chloe would go to your house and she would learn you know, how to sew or how to make daisy chains. And
0: yeah. Yeah. And then there were some of the not so practical things that they didn't learn very well, like the time that the two of them went into the upstairs bathroom and simply shut the door, but convinced themselves that they were locked in forever. And they screamed bloody murder until one of the girls came and turned the door handle and the poor (laughs) girls were so traumatized they were pretty convinced this is it this is where we live now (laughs) this is where we live now and then
1: I'm sure at some moment when it was all said and done they probably had a you know an action an after action plan with each other thinking well okay the next time we get you know locked behind a door in the bathroom at least we've got water we could sleep in the tub (laughs) you know yeah. Yeah.
0: It's hysterical. Uh, yeah, there's probably
1: a lot we also don't know.
0: And there are a few stories that are family favorites and folklore around here that, I don't know, I'm not going to share those. I'm not going to share those on the podcast without Chloe's permission, but man, they were funny.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, they were.
0: Uh, she learned a few things from her brothers. <laughs> yes, she
1: did. And I think sometimes she just learned on her own yes, somehow. Facts. Without knowing... The, you know, that's one of the great things about young friendships is it's just so innocent and pure and genuine.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of the things about having four kids is that you just see the diversity of who they are. They are yes. not like their siblings. And No. it doesn't have anything to do with who the parents are or how you raise them or anything. It just is who they are. That's who they okay. are yeah that's what
1: that's what I think is also so fun because and sometimes it's not that you're teaming up with any particular child, but it's so fun sometimes when you're around the table and one of the kids says something or does something, you all the rest of you look at each other with that quizzical look of
0: who is that yeah,
1: or oh, that was a good one,
0: yeah, yeah, and I think that you know parents who have one child. mean, not all, certainly, but some feel like, you know, that behavior that their child exhibits or that personality trait, that it all has to do with, you know, maybe some genetics and maybe some family components, but they think that it's because of the way they're raising them. And then they get the second child and they realize, oh, well, maybe that kid's acting that way because she's (laughs) reacting to the other one who's reacting to the way that I'm raising them. Right, but then you get to the third kid, and you go, "Oh no, it's all just a crapshoot." <laughs> <laughs> it is, and then, then this then is random. Yeah, this is random. Then you get the fourth one, you're you just think
1: you're going to be who you're going to be because we're all setting our kind of roles now. So just join in.
0: Yeah, do it, your thing. You do, you do your
1: thing. We'll embrace you. Just come on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Join
1: us. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel bad sometimes because I think parents of with with one child. Always, put, you know how you and I get the, are you Mormon? Are you Catholic? Do you know birth control? I'm sure parents of one child get, well, why didn't you have another? Mm-hmm. Do you, are you going to try? But you know they mm-hmm. get the guilted. Yeah, know, it's all equally as lovely. Some no of one my, should feel guilty.
0: Some of my friends who have <clears throat> chosen to just have one, just say one and done. Yep. One and done. One and done. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you are over there in Europe, and I remember, you know, in the first few times that we talked about what it was like over there, you had some pretty different perspectives on parenting in Europe versus the U.S. hmm Safety issues. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, my
1: goodness. I, yes, we used to, um, Playmobil Park, we all are familiar with Playmobil toys. Well, there's a Playmobil Fun Park here here in Germany, it's about 45 minutes north of where I live. It's lovely. It's everything you can imagine if you were to build a playmobile, castle, or a hospital, but you get to go inside and interact with it. But the safety standards, although I'm sure are technically considered high and normal, there's not intentional danger, but there's definitely not the security we're used to at playgrounds as Americans. There's Maybe no safety rails, or there might be a rope bridge over water, but the water might be either deep or rocky, and no side rails. It, it's just kind of funny, because people just don't get hurt. I I don't know if it's common sense, or they just learn balance earlier, but Playmobil Park is what we would consider a walking hazard, but...
0: I remember you mentioning walking down the street somewhere in Europe, and there was a open manhole cover, and remembering that if you were here in the United States, there would be, you know, three city workers and a bunch of orange cones around it, oh, and yeah. guarding, 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 whereas, you know, in Europe, it's like, yeah, there's a hole.
1: There's a hole, don't step in it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
1: you'll see the construction workers
0: with, we
1: call it the Bavarian construction hat, which is basically a white bucket hat Mm -hmm. that just sits on top of their head, and they're usually wearing shorts, a yellow vest, because they are very much into roadside safety as far as yellow vests go. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Probably smoking and no eye gear, eye protection, or ear protection. Mm
0: -mm. But they got the hat and the vest. They got the hat and the vest and the (laughs) cigarette. There you go. Yeah. But it's kind of that way everywhere. You know,
1: you just kind of see things... um, We have a river wall along the Donau, whereas if you're familiar with um, the Willamette River seawall, there's, you can't step off the edge of that, but here it's literally the ground, the concrete ground where people can dine, and, and you could sit on the edge and your feet would dangle over the roaring, rapid, wide Donau.
0: And how many, how often do people fall in? Um, I think probably on weekends, maybe
1: a few more fall without realizing it, but it would be, um, minimal. It doesn't make the news. Mm -hmm. I think common sense would be, you just don't go in there. I'm amazed more children don't dart to it, but I, I haven't seen a child run and jump off it.
0: I do like the word common sense considering it's the name of my book and podcast.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Con- sometimes you just have to take a step back and use some common sense. Don't overthink it, but be practical and.
0: I'm a that's, big. Uh, that's
1: where the Germans are.
0: I'm a big um, fan of benign neglect. <laughs> you know, just yeah, yeah, just let kids. I mean, not not complete free range parenting. That didn't work for me at all. But you know, maybe you just don't need to micromanage every little detail.
1: Well, German kindergarten is a prime example. Um, I think Beck had probably one of the best school experiences of all my children for age three to seven. Mm -hmm. They do German kindergarten for three years. You do three years before you even step foot in a first grade classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, Where he would come home from kindergarten with this wood block that had probably 30 nails hammered into it. Mm hmm it was a caterpillar, basically, but <laughs> they taught the kids how to hammer. Mm-hmm. They learned how to use a table saw. Um, it was all very, you know, it, it was very guided and safety-oriented, but they made these wood projects. They would go for hikes in the woods and with sticks. They let the kids carry sticks. Um, and it was
0: pretty remarkable. It's the way that many of us grew up before safety hit the 70s 80s and 90s Mm -hmm. yeah i remember at um my son's preschool that teacher was brilliant and for halloween every kid got a pumpkin that was hollowed out and then she gave them an electric drill and they drilled holes in their pumpkins all over the place some in patterns some just you know like my son just went for it just drill the heck out of that pumpkin and then you put the candle in, and the light shone through, and it was great. But there were those parents who were terrified, even considered not sending their child to school oh. on drill day. Oh, which was probably the highlight of the year. Perhaps of their lives. Seriously? Yes. Perhaps of their
1: lives. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The, in Beck what they would go on these walks all day, they'd call, they'd call them bonder talks. So a day of hiking. Uh-huh. Um, wander meaning hiking and tog meaning day, and they would send extra gear, and they would walk quite a ways from the kindergarten up up through the woods to the next village that happened to be where the one of the teachers lived, and she had a farm. And those kids basically played with farm animals, they learned the farm, they dug holes, they beat tree trunks with sticks. They had a great time. And mm-hmm. then they have a fire. Mm-hmm. fire. Fire pits are big here in Germany. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And they came back dirty, grimy, happy. It was great. Excellent. Yeah. One of the things that when people say, well, do you notice anything different as a parent? Or how is it different over in Germany? And one of the things I, my basic standard answer is, You rarely see a stressed-out German parent. Hmm. You don't hear children's name being screamed across the playground. You don't hear the word stop. You don't hear moms running after, rescuing children. They pretty much let them work it out. They're smart. They're smart. Yeah. German kids are notoriously, they're kind of known to be a little on the naughty, aggressive side. Hmm. But they grow out of it. Mm-hmm. They make great friendships, <clears throat> it must work because um, when they're in school, it's a little more rigid than here. You know, you don't get a sticker for every, every time you dot your I and cross your T, mm-hmm. but German parents are not stressed out. Hmm. Or they hide it well, but I, I'm pretty sure they're not hiding anything.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, do you think that you've changed the way that you've raised your kids?
1: Yeah, I would. I would say so. I feel um, a little more calm. I'm. There's a less pressure to keep up with other people's parenting and opportunities and signing up for this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, Germans are Europeans are really accepting of each other, so I I kind of appreciate that. The judgment is way less here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. High so amount of respect for parents being parents. You know, that might be the perfect closing line. I was going to ask you how much you miss labor and delivery nursing, but I bet, well, I'll ask it. How much do you miss it?
1: You know, what I really miss the most um, in nursing is actually working with other nurses, working with the tribe. I'm kind of, I'm the only nurse in my school and I miss, miss medical talk. I miss backing each other up or bouncing ideas off so Mm -hmm. that would be the one thing i miss
0: that's what i miss too Mm -hmm. so my last question that i ask everybody who comes on the show is this where are you in your life as a mom where am i in place
1: and time or
0: no whatever however you want to answer that where are you in your life as a mom I think I'm what I'd be considered in a
1: transition, which I always feel like I'm in transition. You know, I still mm-hmm. have school age and I have um, college. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm in transition of still keeping focus and attention on elementary things, yet starting to become more of a, a parent to adult children. Yeah. It's a which pretty is, good place. I actually really like it. I feel it's real balanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my really. gosh, it is. It's like a teeter-totter. I'm the center part of the teeter-totter. Oh, that's such a good image. <laughs> that's exactly what I am. I
0: yeah. have teeters and totters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have more teeters than I do totters, but I, I go, I'm the center point for whichever kid is in crisis at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We
1: always keep our arms out. Yeah. Out and open for them all.
0: Yep. That's the Keeping way it the is. Yep. Yep. Well, Kelly, this has been fun to catch up and. Oh, it's been great. Yeah. My coffee's out. It's good. Mine too. Mine's gotten cold. So oh, let's dear. catch up again soon. I think that, good. that one of the things that I really want to continue doing with this podcast is, you know, so much of what new parents hear is from the perspective of new parents. And I think it's really valuable to hear from older parents, experienced parents, to so that the newbies understand that, yeah, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. And you know,
1: there's always that fear of, oh my gosh, I've got nail- newborn nailed down. I can't do toddler. Mm-hmm. You always can do the next phase.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. And then you get into the teenage years and you think, there is no way that I could handle, I, you know, teenagers. Ugh. And then you realize, no, actually, that's still your kid going through a huge transition. And it's just the next phase. It's the next phase. And guess what? You're not having to teach him how to read. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. 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 You can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, babe. Let's talk okay. again soon. Sounds good. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Guest was Kelly, and just like all the labor nurses that I've interviewed so far, she's keeping it on a first name basis. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast is produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. You can email me, jean gene at jeanfaulkner.com, tweet me, um, ask me your questions. And of course, you can pick up copies of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, everywhere that books are sold. Thanks for listening. Let's talk again next week, and let's keep this conversation going.